Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes, no curveballs today. You, Your new book is out. It's published. Let's just go ahead. I'm not going to do my promo stuff at the beginning. Let's do your promo. What's the book called and where can people get it? Yes, it's No Pressure, Finding Happiness in a Fear-Driven World. Available on Amazon. Same same as last time. A, a small uptick in price which I'm interested to see how that works out. I may end up producing it, <laughs> um, but it's, you know, better storytelling, more content. I feel like it's a much improved, like I wouldn't say it's an improved version of the first book cause it's different, but it's a lot of the same ideas. So, you know, kind of just building off that book, progressing in some areas and paperback 10 bucks, ebook six. And it is on Amazon. So admittedly, I'm a little bit of a broke boy right now. But once uh, once I get moved in, the $6 will be in your pocket, sir. And listen, all right, I, am, I will do my promo now. All right, save it for the end of the podcast because I just thought of something. If you don't buy this book, I will go to your local workout establishment and I will tell them, hey, this guy doesn't wipe down the uh, machines or the bars when he's done. You know, mm. he, he leaves all his germs. And I heard he goes out. You know, he's partying all the time. You know, he's just always, you know, talking to people. So, yeah, he doesn't watch his equipment. So you're going to have to deal with the fallout from that, even though it's not true, even though you might go nowhere but the gym. But that's what the gym thinks. So you got to live with the consequences of your actions that you didn't actually do. So that's listen by the book. I'm going to learn, familiarize myself with the name of it. And we're going to um, <laughs> we're going to get that going. But. We're here to um, talk about all the stuff that happened in free agency so far. It is currently 4 p.m. Eastern on Friday, August 6th. That's easy for me to say. Um, It's been, Dylan, I would describe this free agency period as just a lot of around the margins. No, like, big, big moves, but, like, okay, Atlanta needs a backup point guard here. Here, we'll take the lawn right. Or Boston, they need another creator. Okay, we'll nab Josh Richardson. No, like... I mean, the biggest player to move is Russ. And even that you could describe as an on the Martins move. Yeah, I've been a little disappointed. And I guess, as always, we just build our expectations up for the offseason. And I think a lot of that was trade buzz. I mean, we still potentially have a Dame trade. We potentially have Ben Simmons. So that could be coming. But, yeah, I mean, it's been um, – It's been, you know, that typical kind of arms race among the top teams. Obviously, the Lakers being the one that have drastically changed and for the worst, for the most part. I don't know. Well, I guess we probably have to talk about them because they've had a bunch of signings, too. But, um, you know, like the, you know, the Nets got better. The Bucks, I think, have gotten a lot better. Um, So, yeah, like it's it's been teams getting better across the board for the most part. Some teams definitely haven't gotten better, um, but it's, it's been um, just kind of minor stuff, but important nonetheless. Yeah. And 
it can go from like the Kings re-signing Mo Harkless to the Hornets signing Kelly Oubre. There's just been so many small pieces on the move, but those small pieces in their roles can make a huge difference. And why don't we just start with the Lakers? Because the Lakers have had themselves an offseason. So they were in on the uh, obviously the Russell Westbrook trade. Um, that turned out being a five-team trade with all the – it was the Wizards, the Spurs got in on it somehow. The Pacers – who else was involved? The Nets. Missing stuff. And the Lakers. And the Lakers. A five-team trade all throughout. But they ended up signing. <laughs> They've signed Dwight Howard, Wade Ellington, Kent Bazemore, Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, and Malik Monk, all to minimum contracts. They re-signed Taylor Horton Tucker for three years, $32 million, And they signed Kendrick Nunn to two years, $10 million. And I believe the second year of that is a player option. Um... This team is going to be a lot worse defensively, but I think that they're not in a in the regular season. I don't think they're in a horrible spot. I would I don't think they're in a horrible spot, but yeah, their defense is going to be atrocious. So you have Russ, who point of attack defender, which was a problem they fixed with Schroeder, and now that's gone already. You, like that was, and they won a title with bad point of attack defense and you know they kind of got lucky that Dame got hurt and they had some good breaks that come their way but Goran Dragic getting hurt like they got lucky that year and last year they had different injuries you know they got the other end of the luck stick and now you know you get Westbrook and you trade away KCP who was a reliable defender you already got rid of Danny Green. Like, I don't really trust Ellington or Bazemore to be locking the wings down anymore. Um, Horton Tucker, I still am shocked that he's a $10 million player. He's basically done nothing to this point. Like, I, I understand that the market doesn't always reward you for past performance and who you are right now. It could be for a guy like whom is, who's still young. It's, you know, if we give this guy 20 minutes a game, maybe he's a $10 million guy. And in restricted free agency, you know, that's probably not too far off. Um, but I don't know. I don't feel great about it when you have a bunch of big contracts already on the books. I mean, Dwight Howard, like, was a huge improvement, I think, because I just think Harrell sucks. I just do. Like, I, I understand what he does. He's a six nine center. Like that, it's even coming off the bench. That's just not. There's going to be a uh, a limited upside on that. So backup center, they got better, but like that's not a, an area where they should really worry about, especially considering they still have Marcus All, who's apparently just going to sit around and coach now or something. I don't know. Um, and uh, you know Kendrick Nunn, Malik Monk. I mean Malik Monk, I think was probably their best signing just from a value standpoint. Because he's going to be awesome off the bench. He's going to be good with AD and LeBron and Russ. Like, he's going to fit in nice. But, like, Kendrick Nunn, too, it's like, I don't know. Like, every single move, kind of for what it is, it's, like, not great but not terrible either. And for a team trying to win a championship, I'm not too inspired by that. So – Here's my here's my counter to that, Dylan. You know, I'm not the big I don't hate the Lakers as much as you do. I'm just kidding. We probably both hate them the same amount, but I'm gonna play devil's advocate here, okay? Do any of these moves matter? 
if AD's healthy. Like, I think Anthony Davis might be the most important player in the NBA next year. And it's funny because I already made my top 10 list, and I'm just going to spoil this now. He's not in my top 10. But the way he can change a game, there's no one – and just no one who can change the game on both sides the way he can. Maybe him and Giannis. That's the list. Those are the guys that they can change the game on both sides the way that they can. And if 80's healthy, and they say he's going to play a lot more five next year. I'll believe it when I see it. If he's playing the five and he puts in a defensive player of the year performance the way he did in 2020, then I don't think any of this stuff is going to matter. Like if they finish 15th in defense, that are like, that'll be a huge promising sign. If they finish 20th, I'll be concerned, but I still think AD, like we saw last year in the Sun Series, when he was healthy, he was the best player in two of the three games he was healthy in. And yeah, I think Malik Monk is a fantastic signing. I think getting Wayne Ellington is also a fantastic signing, on offense at least. Um, Oh, and I forgot Trevor Ariza. (laughs) They brought in Trevor Ariza too. I don't think he's, I don't think him... I don't think he's going to play. And I don't think Mello will play occasionally. They're they're going to hemorrhage a lot of points. But if Anthony Davis can clean up some of it at the rim, then I, I don't think they're in a terrible place. Yeah, I mean, their, their center rotation is probably, like, their most solid part of the roster. Because, like, you have, you have three good bigs you can rotate in and out. And... I mean, who you go with at at the four with those guys is another question. Um, Unless, I mean, it's LeBron, I guess. But I agree with you that AD is a huge chess piece and all this. And when he's healthy, it's great. But I'm, I'm worried about LeBron's health, too. Like, having to worry about both of those guys' health is not a good sign. Like, I think... The odds of both of those guys being healthy at the right time, I just think it's slim. And even if they're just 80%, when you have to rely on Russ a lot more and Malik Monk down the stretch, like, I mean, I, I think Carmelo is aging really well. Like, he's that was another signing I actually thought was pretty solid. But I just, I just don't really trust the pieces on their own enough. Um, especially with the injury risks. I just, I don't know. I, I don't, we'll have to see how it goes, but I just think injury is too big of a risk for me to really believe in this team as like a true title contender. Yeah. And it's a fair point. Like we saw LeBron, I mean, last year was the first year he's dealt with a major injury in his whole career, but we kind of saw it happen. Like we kind of see with the high school guys. Right. And obviously LeBron is still young in the grand scheme of life, but he's, this will be his 18th season. Like we saw around this point, Kevin Garnett start to get hurt a lot. Tracy McGrady didn't even make it to year 18. I don't think I'm just trying to think of other notable high school guys. Kobe started. I think the year he tore his ACL was either year 18 or 17. Like this is when you, those miles you put on your body start to rack up. And I'm just, I'm curious to see if he can bounce back or not. I would bet you LeBron comes out really hard, hot to start the year next year. Does the Miami thing he did in 2015, middle of the season, you know, like maybe a hamstring injury again, hamstring injury in air quotes where he takes two weeks off and he's rejuvenated by the time the playoffs come around. But 
Yeah, it's a legitimate concern. I think Russell helped a lot with the regular season stuff, right? Like, I think that Russell have Wayne Ellington shooting 45% from three, right? Like, I think that's a very distinct possibility. And honestly, it's good. Getting Russ is great for the regular season. The playoffs, though, like, he should, he shot like 30% from the field in the, the 76er series. And we saw Trey Young fucking torch them in the in the second round. So I just, I don't like it for the playoffs. And I guess for the regular season, it's a good way to win 55 games and make sure all your bases are covered and you have home court through the whole playoffs. Yeah, I just, I don't really like, I mean, I could see them as a top four seed, but I don't think it's a lock by any means. I mean, I don't think Utah's going to have that good of a year, but I think they definitely got better. I mean, the the main thing that mattered was getting Conley back, which they did. They pretty much have solved their bench creation with um, Jared Butler and Rudy Gay. Like, I think their bench is not going to have a problem getting points now outside of Clarkson like it did this year. And even Hassan Whiteside, who I know you don't like and I don't like either, but Favors was just terrible this past year. Like, and as much as I don't like Whiteside – he's going to at least get points and rebounds. Like he's going to do something out there and he's not, he may be a tire fire defensively at times, but again, favors wasn't great last year. So, and, and we've, we've caped for favors. Like we, it's not really his fault that he was bad, but I'm not going to say it's an upgrade, but it's at least something different. So I don't expect Utah to have a huge fall off. Like Phoenix brought all their guys back. So I don't expect them to have a huge fall off, even though, again, probably not going to be the same. You know, Denver got better. Like, I don't the, – the Warriors are going to get better. The Grizzlies can be better. Like, I don't, I don't see a, a clear opening for them to be a top four seed, and they definitely could be. I'm not saying it's just out of the possibility, but it's not like the, you know, the waters are opening up for them to just walk right into a home court seed. I – I don't see it like that right now. Again, because you're going to expect injuries throughout the season too. Like Russ is another injury potential. I mean, I I don't think he's as bad as the other two guys, but he could get hurt too, especially with the reckless abandon he plays with. You know, like he's he's one of those guys that if he tweaks his knee on a fall from like attacking the rim, it's like yeah, that's kind of his game. So I don't know. Like I'm not going to expect them to perform that great in the regular season. And a lot of these other guys they brought in are old too. Aside from like Nunn and Monk, like most of those guys are very close to retirement age. And that just puts them at risk for injury too. So I don't know. Like I'm I'm definitely open to the idea of them being a great regular season team that can come together when it matters. But I just don't know yet. It's something that we're going to have to see how the injuries break and how the rest of the West shapes out. These are all fair points because I'm not going to lie coming into this conversation. I was feeling, you know, kind of the opposite. We're like, okay, I feel like the Lakers, I honestly, I do think it will be a little bit more of a challenge than I expected, but I think that the West is kind of getting weaker as a whole, including the Lakers. Like I think Utah, I think they'll fall off just because I think they were on such a high last year coming off the disappointment. There's two outcomes for Utah. Either they finish as a fourth or sixth seed 
and kind of fall back to where they were before this year, or they come out on a fucking vengeance and they win 60. They actually win 60 games. I could see either of those two things happening. Phoenix, I think will stay either exactly the same or get a little better. Right. I love the JaVale McGee pickup for them. Um, I think the two teams that are due to fall off though, I think Denver will fall to the four to six range. I think Mm. that that's going to be their range because I think that not having Murray, I think that's really going to hurt them through the regular season. And then the Clippers, I don't think, I think that they're going to be probably in play in range. I don't think that they're going to be like, I think they're going to be five through eight. That's going to be the Clippers range. I like, we both really liked what Paul George did, but we've seen what Paul George does as the best player on a team. It led them to 41 wins in the Eastern conference in 2016 through 17. Right. And I think the this Clippers team is probably a little better than, you know, a team with Monte Ellis on it. But I think that what, like just not, if Kawhi doesn't come back and play at all in, in any of those 82 games, is for, is it safe to say the Clippers ceiling is 45 wins? Well, first of all, I'll say that team had Monte Ellis and Jeff Teague. So the fact that it was not a shocking disaster is something to be applauded. But I will say also that um, you know, they brought Reggie Jackson back, so I don't think uh, Paul George being the best player on the team is a lock, all right? You got to leave yourself open to that possibility because look what the man did in the playoffs. Like, $11 million a year was a really good deal for the Clippers. The way this point guard market is shaping out, which we'll probably discuss a little bit more later on, like outside of the top guys, even Conley, I think, was a discount. Like outside of outside of Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry both getting thirty a year, I think everyone else was a pretty good deal. Like Patty Mills was six mil. You know, like a lot of these other good backups were less than ten. I mean, like TJ McConnell, I think was probably the not. I don't want to say he was an overpay because he was one of the best defensive players in the league last year. But I was kind of surprised that he got over nine a year. But like if if that's the one kind of eye grabbing number from point guards, I I think the Clippers did really well getting him at at eleven, and I think they maybe had some leverage because he really seemed like he wanted to stay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely think they're gonna take a small, not a small dip. I mean, their roster didn't really get that much better. I think it got a little better. Like I think Keon Johnson is probably going to be decent I still don't know much about him he's a guy they drafted this year but I just I don't really trust their backup guard still like Terrence Mann is just so up and down and I don't know like he obviously had some big moments in the playoffs but I still kind of waver on him Luke Kennard who knows if he'll even play every night you know it's it's just odd. I could see him breaking in and kind of taking over um, a strong role off the bench. They got Batum back. Like, Justice Winslow, I don't trust either. So, I think there's definitely a good potential they fall a good amount. But, hey, if Reggie Jackson's consistent like he was in the playoffs, which he's going to get the same, the same shot diet pretty much. So, you know, maybe he'll maybe he'll kind of surprise us and keep it going, but – even if that's the case, I still think they're going to take, you know, a two to three seed slip at least. Yeah. And 
I think that this season will kind of be like the fuck around and try shit season for Ty Lue, right? Like we're going to try, you know, we're going to try Keon Johnson, see what he can give us. We're going to try that kid out of uh, Ohio, Jason Preston. We're going to see what he can do, right? They're going to try some stuff and it's probably not all going to work. And I mean, 45 and 37 in the Western Conference, I mean, it's not what it used to be. Like, it's not like, you know, the year where all the teams or the, the Suns missed the playoffs winning 48 games. We're not talking about that Western Conference anymore, but it's still a strong conference just because it's not as strong as it used to be. So winning 45 games out West, I think, would be an accomplishment. And, you know, you try to address some of the that Preston kid can really pass is what the word is on him. Like he's going to be a, a boon to their playmaking, but he's a rookie. You know, it's not fair to count on a rookie to come in and contribute right away. And Keon Johnson is full of potential. So if you can get like develop him on the actual roster, like you wouldn't have been able to do that with Kawhi on the team. Like if he was Kawhi will be on the team, he's resigning, but you wouldn't be able to do that if he was healthy. Like Kawhi is not in the business of developing guys. So they might take a short-term hit, but it, it would be beneficial for their long-term gain for, I, I feel for the Clippers. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely a good season for those developmental guys and justice Winslow is one of them. I mean, justice Winslow before he got hurt with Miami was having a really nice season. And I mean, really he kind of had a good year and a half and, you know, obviously he's involved in that Iguodala trade and he was just a disaster with the Grizzlies last year which I don't blame on him. I mean, it was a new team for him, and he was coming off an injury. And I guess he had a role, but it was kind of odd coming off the bench. So, I mean, he definitely could be like a worthwhile gamble for them, and that could be someone that ends up being good off their bench. And then, yeah, there's a lot of guard stuff to figure out still. So I think, you know, I think uh, it's going to be better long-term for them to – kind of keep a lot of this stuff in-house and not maybe go out and grab some stopgap to kind of help you win games this year, which they didn't have many options financially anyway. But, you know, Kawhi is going to come back and he's going to be awesome. Like, I don't I don't doubt that. Like, I don't think he's going to miss all of next season. I just don't that just him like him. Not to say I know him personally, but just like knowing his the way he operates He's not a guy that's going to, like, take it easy. <laughs> He's trying to win a finals, you know, another one. So I think he'll be back probably end of the regular season. And hopefully by that point they have a lot of good developmental guys that have kind of blossomed in that time. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. Um, in the interest of time, let's go ahead and move on to our next team. What's another Western Conference team that interested you? Do you want to go to the Pelicans next? Yeah. So we obviously already discussed the uh, the Valanciunas trade. So they got Valanciunas. They drafted Trey Murphy out of Virginia and Herb Jones out of Alabama. They uh, traded, signed and traded Lonzo Ball to Chicago for Thomas Sadaransky, Garrett Temple, future second round pick. They uh, they acquired Devonte Graham in a sign and trade for four four years, forty seven million for uh, a future first round pick next year's uh, I believe lottery protected. And then, yeah, that's pretty much the the crux of what they've done. I think if you look at these moves in a vacuum, they kind of look bad. But I think that – I think Graham's going to look really good next to Zion. I think Trey Murphy is going to have a clear, defined role here. And I think Valanchunas 
you know, if you stagger the minutes with him and Zion well, I think that that could be a really good thing. Yeah, I mean, the Valanciunas move was just a great way to start their offseason because, I mean, they probably got a better center. Like, I still think Steven Adams defensively is better, but offensively, you just get so much of a different look, and they needed a spacer. And Valanciunas is not a traditional spacer, but he can space. And just the way this team is built, he definitely will. And at the same time, he can give you that, you know, brute kind of power down low. So I think that was a great way to start the offseason. And they have completely solved the spacing issue in general. I mean, so Lonzo obviously was a good shooter last year, but with Bledsoe there, it just – it didn't feel like it should have. Like Lon, I, I talked all throughout the season how I hated how they used Lonzo because he was an off-ball shooter. I just think that's a stupid way to use him. And I'm interested to see how the Bulls use him because I wouldn't be shocked if it ends up being a similar kind of thing because they got DeMar and, and Zach Levine on ball. So we'll see how that goes. But Devontae Graham is going to be awesome there. I mean – that that trio of him, Ingram, and Zion is gonna be so good to watch. It's gonna be so fun to watch. I mean, the passing, the the creation and the shooting. I mean, you have everything you want. And obviously Zion is unstoppable down low. Like this offense last year was just terrible to watch. And this year I think the balance is gonna be pretty clear. Uh, and, you know, not having Stan Van Gundy is also probably going to help. So that's good. Um, I'm a little interested to see what they do at the other guard spot because ESPN has Nikhil Alexander-Walker slotted in there as a starter. And I could see that. I still think Alexander-Walker is, like, two years away from being reliable. I love the kid. Like, I think he's going to be really good. Like, he's he's got a lot of tools um, he's going to be a good on-ball player, and his shooting is iffy still. His defense is good. Like, if they have to go that route, it's fine. It's definitely going to be the weak spot of the lineup, but it's fine. And if you want to go Sadoransky, you know, you have more of a safe option, but again, uh, low ceiling. So we'll see. Like, maybe the rest of the offseason they'll figure something out. But the the clear – kind of the clearness of Josh Hart not wanting to come back is really killing the vibe, I think, because he would be so awesome on this this version of this team. And maybe with Van Gundy gone, I don't know if his if what his deal is really. Maybe it's the front office, but if they could somehow convince him to even just come back like on the qualifying offer or just a one-year deal of some sort, you know, that would be good. Because I think he would be great for this team, but I guess we'll have to see how that shakes out. So, if I had a complaint, I have two front office complaints about the way New Orleans handled their offseason. My first one, I like Sadoransky, and I like Gary Temple, right? I thought they were both pretty good for Chicago last year. My question is, why couldn't you get that package that um, San Antonio got for DeMar? Like, why couldn't you get... Why is DeMar DeRozan worth a first-round pick, but Lonzo Ball isn't, right? Why is DeMar DeRozan worth Thaddeus Young, but Lonzo isn't? This is my hang-up, right? Like, 
I think that, you know, getting something for Alonzo is obviously better than getting nothing. But this is a lot closer to nothing than Thad or a first-round pick would have been. You throw Thad in there instead of Sadoransky, that works a lot better for me. You throw the first-round pick in there instead of the second-round pick, that works a lot better for me. I don't know what it was. I don't know if Lonzo was just so dead set on going to Chicago that they didn't really have any other options. You could have just matched the damn contract. <laughs> you didn't have to say – you didn't have to let him go to Chicago. Like, I, I quibble with that. And then I quibble with them trading a first-round pick for Devontae Graham. Like, I like Devontae Graham, but he's not really worth a first-round pick to me. I think he's really good, right? Like, if I was the Clippers, I would have thrown my first for him. But that's a different context, right? The Clippers are a lot closer to winning. I think he helps. I think he helps the Pelicans a great deal. I think his passing is great, and I think his pull-up shooting is great. But... I, I, for the Pelicans, I just don't like them giving a first-round pick. Do you have any rebuttals for either of those arguments? I mean, I think the the return for DeMar over Lonzo makes sense to me. It's I just think DeMar's a better player than Lonzo, both now and long-term. Like, you know what he offers. And Lonzo, I still think is kind of – I mean, I think you could shoehorn – horn him into a few different roles, but I just I just think DeMar over the past few years, like for me personally, he's really grown on me as an offensive hub that's like surrounded by shooters. I mean, I think, and we're going to talk about Chicago, but I thought that was a great addition for them. And I, if I had to pick between him and Lonzo for that team, I would have picked DeMar. I just think he has more value for like over the next three years, I'd much rather have DeMar. So I understand I, maybe there shouldn't have been as much of a discrepancy in the trade package, but I understand why DeMar was valued more. And Devonte Graham, I agree with that. I don't, I don't think he was worth the first round pick. And I was looking to see if they had a detailed yet. That's, that's gotta be protected. Like it's lottery protected. Okay. So, you know, even then, New Orleans is, like, their ceiling is probably, like, they would get the 17th pick, you know? So you're going to say that DeMonte Graham's worth the 17th pick? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it's, it, lottery protected is definitely, like, you can deal with it. But, yeah, it did feel a little bit rich for me, too. I just... You know, you're giving up your chance, right? Like, I, I understand the need to be all in, right? Because you have Zion. You're very concerned about him taking the qualifying offer, which, me personally, I would not advise Zion to take the qualifying offer, right? You are leaving gener- – you are going to make an all-NBA team either this year or next year. You are probably going to qualify – it's more likely than not you're going to qualify for the Rose Rule in one way or another. I would not turn down the qualifying offer – but I understand the Pelicans, like, beat the earth, sense of urgency they have. We're like, we need to get a winning team around Zion now. But it's like, we've watched them the last couple of years. They didn't win with Drew Holiday, right? They uh, Last year was an obstacle among, like, they had 75 obstacles in the way of them winning, and they still won 31 games out of 72. Like, 
I, I just don't know what the realistic expectation for this team is. Is it 41 wins? Is it 35 wins? Like, I don't know what, how many games they're going to win this year. And they could still make another, another couple moves because I think they still have a little bit of cap space. But, like, I don't know. Like, I understand the urgency, right? And you see what Atlanta did with Trey Young. But I, I just don't I – th- I don't think this is the way to go about it personally. I mean, I don't think they really should worry too much about Zion appeasing him. I I mean, having Brandon Ingram, I don't want to say it's better than what AD had because they had Drew Holiday, but I don't think – I think this, this team is much further along than AD at this point in his career. And also, on a side note, if Zion leaves this team, they have to sell. to it. They, they have to move cities. It's over. I mean, that's hopefully something that doesn't happen. Not that I really care about New Orleans as a basketball city much, but if if Zion leaves, it's over. They got so lucky getting him with the AD situation, and that would just be a tragedy. Like, I would love to read the book on the New Orleans basketball dynasty, dynasty in quotes, if if they lost two generational big men uh, within a matter of 10 years, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, I mean, they're not a perfect front office. Like, you know, they've made mistakes and the past, like since the AD trade, it's kind of been like, they seem to get a lot of flack for how they handle things. I don't know. There, there's something in that, organization that's like doesn't quite smell right i don't know maybe maybe it's just a sense of urgency to to make zion feel like they're doing their best but i don't know there's something fishy i feel like but i like Devontae graham and that's just my takeaway you know whether whether it works out how they handle this we'll see again i think josh hart coming back would solve a lot of their problems but i don't know i don't i don't think the team's upside for this season is that great but, I mean, moving forward, I think they're probably a decent-looking team, like, for the next three years. You know, like, three years out, I mean, as long as they keep everyone, they're going to be fine. So, I don't know. I, it's fine, but definitely could go wrong. This is a team that's primed to take advantage of the bottom of the West just crumbling beneath them, right? Like, I, I'm not off base to say Sacramento is considerably worse than they were in 2019. Am I? When they almost made the playoffs, Memphis is going to take a step back next year without Valanciunas. It sucks to say, but I think that they might not take a huge step back. But instead of winning like 45 or like instead of winning like 43 games, they might win 40 or 39. Then you have Minnesota is a legitimate threat to make the play in for me. That goes to show how weak the bottom of the West is right now. I would put Minnesota in the plan right now. And then San Antonio is going to fall off a fucking cliff. (laughs) So that's four teams in your general range that aren't going to be as good or better than they were last year. I mean, Minnesota will be better, but apologies. My cats are uh, making noise in the background. Um, I think that the three teams in Sacramento, Memphis, and San Antonio – they're all going to take steps back. So you have an opportunity to rise here, make the play-in game, make some noise in the play-in game. We saw the Grizzlies last year. They were in a disadvantageous position, and they made the playoffs. 
that could reasonably be New Orleans this year. You could talk yourself into that if you're Zion and Ingram. So I will have to see. I think that's that's a realistic expectation for them just because like a couple of years ago, you would have said there's no chance this team competes for the 10th spot. But now with the way the West is going, I think that it's reasonable to expect that. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Like the bottom of the West is mostly trash right now. And plus we're coming into the season with Portland is going to be worse as well. And they could be way worse if Dame's gone. So and by the way, if Dane's gone, there's no point in keeping Norm Powell, so he'd be moved too. Nurkic, like if you're going to – unless you're trading Dane for like a, a Ben Simmons type of thing where you could reasonably compete still for playoff game or spots, they're going to take a spill. And, yeah, like Minnesota is the only team that I think could rise from that bottom area. Um, so – We'll see. Like, I I think this is definitely a good year for them to – I mean, if they don't make a play-in game this year, either something went terribly wrong for them or something went incredibly right for, like, three other teams. Because if you look at the records last year, I'm pretty sure they were 500 with Zion Health. Yes. So they were, like, 2-9 and without him. So if you look at now, you got better at center, you got better at point guard – even if Zion misses games, you should, you know, logically not be two and nine without Zion. So there's really no reason for them to not make a playoff play in game at, at worst. So we'll see if, if they, if they miss the play in, maybe they have some stuff to worry about with Zion, but you know, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. And look, why don't I want to talk about Portland? Cause we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on them, but, uh, Dame said, came into this postseason, we need to change the roster. This roster isn't good enough for us to win, which is a damning quote, right? Like, you don't want your superstar player saying that out in public. Well, Neil O'Shea heard that, and he's like, yeah, I see that roster, and I give you Cody Zeller, Ben McLemore, Tony Snell, and we're going to re-sign Norm Powell. What the fuck are they doing? (laughs) What? Do they think this is going to help them get better? Yeah, Cody Zeller's better on defense than Enos Kanter. But on the whole, I think for the regular season, I'd rather have Cantor. He'd help you win more games in the regular season. In the playoffs, yes, he's going to get played off the floor. But guess what? So is Cody Zeller probably. Ben McLemore isn't going to help you do shit, right? And God bless Tony Snell's heart. He had a really good season in Atlanta last year. Did he play any playoff minutes outside of the first round? I don't think he did. So, I mean, Dylan, are they just asking... Dame to demand a trade? They might be. I mean, Cody Zeller is like the definition of like 500 basketball to me at best. And you also lost Melo, who was a very reliable bench scorer for you and kind of just like a morale booster, I would imagine, in the locker room. And listen, I have I know nothing about Greg Brown, but I can tell you a hundred percent certainty he will not be a good NBA player. Greg Brown, have you ever heard of a good basketball player named Greg Brown? Like, come on, there he would be a great like left tackle in the NFL, but NBA basketball, no. So I, it's this is kind of what they do, and this is what they've done is. 
they make the moves they need to either slightly improve or just stay how they are. And that is what's pushed Dane to this point where he's sick of it. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, Neil Shea, like, I don't know. I don't know. I know that they usually don't have a ton of money to work with anyway, but a lot of these teams have gotten creative. Look at the Lakers. They had no money to work with and they still changed half their roster. So you can do it. I mean, look at Brooklyn. They had no money. They got Patty Mills. So there's there's stuff you can do to get good players, and it just seems like Portland never really does it. And I think the main problem they have is they're not trading CJ McCollum. Like, we've seen this now. It's been six years of this shit. They've won one playoff series together. Or no, they've won two playoff series, I think, in the whole time that they've been the starting backcourt in Portland. They won in 2019, they made the conference finals, and I think that was it. I think that's the only time they've not lost in the first. Oh, no, no, they beat the, uh, wait, 2019 was the year they beat the Thunders. Never mind. They've only (laughs) made it to the, past the first round once. It's just a disgrace. Like, you you can't keep running it back. It just isn't going to work. We saw Wallen Beal ran its obvious course, right? Like, that's the, the obvious comparison here from the other side of the conference. I don't think Steph and Clay counts because they're, you know, all time, right? So it's, and plus they complement each other so much better than Dame and CJ do. I just, I don't know why Neil O'Shea is refusing to trade CJ. Like having emotional attachments to players doesn't work. It just doesn't. Okay. You know, when we were in school, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I'm coming up with a new one. WWDD. What would Daryl do? Daryl, obviously, being Daryl Morey. How many years ago would he have traded CJ McCollum? Three years ago? Would he have traded him after they lost to the, the Pelicans? I mean, you can't have as much as it sucks, right? These are all people. This is a people industry. But you just can't get too attached to your guys. Otherwise, this is going to happen. You're going to stagnate. And they've stagnated. You're right. I would predict Portland is firmly in the play-in. I think Golden State leaps them pretty easily. And that means there's seven, and the Lakers jump them too. That's seven teams ahead of them that I think are better than them right now. And if those teams don't do it, hell, the Grizzlies might do it. The Pelicans might do it. I just, I don't understand what they're doing. Yeah, you make a good point about the emotional attachment because you have to look at this as a business and look at the guys that have taken risks. I mean, Maury swapped point guards every year and almost got them to the finals. They almost took out one of the best basketball dynasties, if not ever, at least in like the past 20 years. I mean, they're going to be considered an all-time great dynasty. So there's no denying that. They almost did it. And yes, there was some injuries, but still, they almost they almost beat him. Um, Masai trading DeMar. Like, an emotional GM would not do that. DeMar was very important for that city. He was very important to that franchise. He was kind of looked at almost as their savior because he kind of came in and when they were bad and they eventually built up to a consistent playoff team. And he was like the one guy that was there through all of that. And he got fucked by LeBron every year, so they traded him. And they won a, a finals because of it. Like, that's how you have to look – at your roster. You can't say 
Oh, CJ McCollum's a great guy. Like he's going to be in broadcast journalism one day. I don't want to make him mad. Like I can't trade him. And meanwhile, they're losing to shitty teams every year in the first round. Like it's, it's definitely (laughs) what would Daryl do needs to be a shirt. And I'm sure some analytics nerd on Twitter has already made it. Uh, But I, I would like to buy that shirt because I mean, that's, that's how you should run a basketball team. Like, you know, you can criticize the, the analytical stuff and all that. And I, the thing that annoys me about sports is that Daryl Morey, if he never wins a finals is never going to be respected by some people, because if you don't win, you're just worthless. And I just think that's a bad way to look. I don't think you should look at, I guess you have to look at results at the end of the day. But these guys can't look at the result or think about the result before they make moves because you could logically talk yourself out of anything if you think it's going to potentially hurt you. And Maury has just said, screw it. Like, we're taking risk. And if it doesn't pay off, it doesn't pay off. And for Houston, it almost paid off. And, like, Philly, it's just in the beginning, so we'll see where it goes. But his style – and look, he's already wanting to trade Simmons, you know, and feel it like this. The Simmons issue is not new. It's just continuing to happen. And Maury is already one year in over it. And obviously it's seems to be peaking after the way that that series ended. But he's he realizes when it's time to cut ties. And that is how a basketball manager should be. I mean, every great team has to make a tough decision. And it doesn't seem like Portland wants to be a great team with the way they've handled it. So, I mean, talking about finance, like there's no way they can improve without trading McCollum. Like you you can't get better by just signing minimum guys every year. No. And I mean, I have to give Olshay credit. I mean, the Covington move was a really good move, right? Getting off of two first-round picks – but that's Olshay's other problem is he can't draft for shit. Who's the best yeah. Olshay draft pick since McCollum? Like, is it Anthony Simons? Zach Collins left. I mean, they really haven't done anything since since they drafted CJ. They got lucky with Dame, right? Dame fell right into their laps. And then they... They got CJ in 2013, and they really, again, they haven't done anything since. Yeah, they were a contender in 2014, so they weren't, you know, trying to draft anybody. 2015, just that if you run the franchise a little bit better, there's a chance that the Trailblazers have a championship by now, but they don't because they've been so poorly run. And just to go back to Daryl real quick, do you realize how many times they only missed the playoffs three times in Daryl's tenure, like 15-year tenure, and they only – they never finished under 500. Never. Like, he just was a ridiculously good GM. And I think that people get caught up in the analytics stuff, and they don't realize that he has a he has a pretty good basketball <laughs> feel. Like, he has a pretty good feel for what he needs to do. So, I just uh, – Daryl Morey would not be doing any of the Portland moves. If he, you gave him Damian Lillard, he would relish, relish that opportunity. But – um, any what other Western Conference teams would you like to talk about? There's one in particular that stands out, but I feel like we've already touched our bases on a lot of teams. It feels like two more stand out to me, but I'm curious to see if 
either of them stand out to you? Well, I mean, I think we both want to talk about the Spurs, but yes. I want to talk about the Kings real quick. Okay. Like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, yeah. I talk, I, I defend the Davion Mitchell pick last week, and then they go out and they re-sign Rashawn, which is good. All the, They re-sign Mo Harkless, which is worthless. They sign Alex Lynn. Like, how have you not had enough Alex Lynn already? You had him once. That should be enough. And then they re-signed Terrence Davis, who is another bit piece. Like, if they don't trade Bagley this offseason, I'm done. I'm done with them. I don't care who's on the roster. I don't care if half of my favorite players are on their roster. I'm done because Bagley is, like, such an easy flip for them. I mean, they could easily convince some idiot team, hey, this guy's good. Even though he has no right hand, he has the weakest hands of any big man in the league. He can't pass and he can't defend. He's still got upside. So give us something decent, like give us a decent wing or something, or give us a, a shooting four. Like they could so easily do that. And if they don't, then I just have no faith in them. And I had little faith from the beginning, but like they've drafted well the past two years, but their signings have just been terrible. They got to trade buddy. They they that really too. that too. They really just can't have him on the roster anymore. But the problem is, <laughs> the logical one for me would have been to sign do a sign and trade with Danny Green, right? You signed Danny Green to a fifteen million a year. You give him the contract the Lakers gave him two for thirty, right? And yeah, he might not deserve that, but God, Danny Green would fix one of the biggest holes on this team, which is perimeter defense, right? And or he wouldn't fix it. He would help patch it. And then you get Buddy Healed off your hands. The Buddy Healed situation to me is untenable. You just can't have him there anymore. Like he doesn't want to be there. He's liking posts about getting him out of Sacramento. Like he just and plus, Buddy Healed on a playoff team will be outrageously fun. Now I do think a lot of teams are just saving a lot of their trades for the deadline. I think the Kings will realize at a certain point, like, oh hey, we need to cut bait with Healed here. For whatever reason, they're not cutting bait with Harrison Barnes, which I also don't understand. But whatever. If you have a starting five of Halliburton, Fox, Harkless, Barnes, and Holmes, I think you could get like a solid 35-win team out of that group. I don't hate it, but it's just, yeah, you're right. They got to trade Bagley and they got to trade Heald. Yeah, and and Heald would be a really nice opportunity for them to like make a decent, you know, three win leap. Like they could make a a small jump if they could get someone that's a little bit more dynamic on both ends of the floor. Because I think Buddy was really good for them, like you know, two three years ago. But the way this team is built now, they don't really need that shooting anymore. They kind of have filled the gaps already. So. I don't hate keeping Barnes as much. I There's got to be a trade between them and Minnesota that would work out. I mean, he would be fantastic on Minnesota. And, I mean, Minnesota has a bunch of young guys that are intriguing. So, I feel like they could figure that out. Maybe that is a deadline thing if, if Minnesota is looking decent. Um, but, yeah, Buddy, Buddy to Philly would have been such an easy one. And, again, maybe that happens. But... I mean, hell, who knows? It could happen in a Ben Simmons trade. <laughs> so I guess both of those guys could be. So we'll see. I mean, I, I think that we definitely could see a lot of deadline activity from teams like the Kings because if we don't, 
then again, no faith in them whatsoever. I mean, your first mistake was ever having faith in the Kings. I mean, listen, they've drafted well two years in a row. I that's just like a shocking development from the Kings. I don't they have drafted so terribly over the past 15, 20 years that I didn't expect them to ever take someone like Hal Burton. Like for them to actually recognize the value there at 11 or whatever it was or 12 to get him was great. And it worked out. He was one of the best rookies last year. And again, Davion Mitchell, I know it's a position that they already have pretty full, but I think he was one of the best players available. So getting him was great. And now they just have the rest of the roster to figure out. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, maybe they could swing a trade at the deadline if the Spurs are trying to offload Dad Young, say, hey, we'll take that off your hands. You know, maybe do something like that. Just anything to shore up their defense, um, which is – and get off of Buddy Heald. I feel like – I mean, the Timberwolves, if you just throw Malik Beasley the Kings way, I mean, Malik Beasley for Buddy Heald makes a lot of sense for both teams. Like, you could stick Beasley at the two or the three, you get – you know, Buddy running Chris Buddy healed in a Chris Finch offense would be to die for, to die for. But I feel like let's let's go ahead and move on to the Spurs. Um, Doug McDermott, three years, forty-two. Stack Collins, three years, twenty-two. They got Thad Young, Al Farouk Aminu, a, a future first, and two seconds in the sign and trade for Demar. They signed NBL Grand Final MVP Jock Landale, whose team we just beat. Go USA. Um, we signed, they signed Bryn Forbes to the vet minimum and they received Chandler Hutchison in the, uh, in the 2022 second round pick in the Dinwiddie trade, they got involved somehow. So is it just me or does it feel like the Spurs are finally giving in and saying it's time to tank? Yeah. I mean, they still have like good players, but they're kind of slowly dismantling, which I guess is probably the proper way for a team like that to go about it. Like that, that young is still good, but like they could easily trade him. Uh, you know, getting a first in that deal is like a great asset. Zach Collins getting seven a year was really surprising. I mean, I see part of my thing is I'm trying to, I need to convince or not convince myself, but I need to tell myself that the salary cap gets bigger every year for the most part. Obviously COVID has changed that, but 7 million a year is not what it used to be. Like I need to remember that 7 million now is like 5 million a couple years ago. So it's not that big, but I don't know like 7 million for a backup center that has had like three straight injuries. I don't know if that was a great move, but they needed center help. We talked about it all last year, especially with LaMarcus being traded. So you know, it's it's been a weird offseason. I mean, I'm never going to be mad at a team for signing Doug McDermott. Like, I think Doug is really good. And I don't know how he's going to fit in there because he was just awesome with Sabonis. Like, that style of player. Like, if he went to Denver, he would be unstoppable. Having a, you know, coming off these backdoor screens with a big man passer, like, he killed in that role. It wasn't, and we talked about this on the pod before, but this past season, it wasn't even his his three point shooting. Like his his two point shooting at the rim was where he improved the most, and that was a lot to do with playing with a talented passing big man. 
And I would not classify Jakob Pertl as that um, or Zach Collins at the moment. So we'll see how that works out. I mean, they have a lot of good guards, so maybe they'll figure something out. But I don't know. It's it's still a weird roster. A weird roster is a kind way to put it. I think that this team, they might end up being the worst team that's not OKC or Houston next year. I think that they are not good. <laughs> like, they, I don't know why they brought in Doug McDermott. Like, them losing DeMar is going to be so huge. DeJounte Murray is not going to be a guy who can carry your team to 500. I don't think he's a guy who could carry your team to 35 wins, let alone this team. They have too many guards. Kelton Johnson, we agree, is a nice player, but he's not going to, he's not going to carry your team either. Um, we haven't seen enough from Walker to say he's going to carry your team at all. And then Vassell's not a carry your team at all kind of piece. And then Pirtle, we found out last year, is way better suited to be a backup pick. Like, he was – like, they were killing in the lineup where Aldridge was off the court. Then we realized that's just because he was playing with Patty Mills. And Patty Mills made Pirtle a lot better. And there's no Patty Mills this year. He's gone. He went to Brooklyn. Rudy Gay's gone. He went to Utah. And then, obviously, DeMar, he's in Chicago. So – I don't think they'll be the worst team in the league, but I think they're going to be one of the six worst. <laughs> like it's looking really bleak there. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be good. Again, I think they're going to be a deadline team or they should be because Thad, like Thad could go to Minnesota too. You know, like there's any team that needs either a backup five or like a fifth starter at your four. That is a very easily a easy guy to slide in, and the guards could all be traded. McDermott is a tradable guy, so I think it's fine. But they're gonna they're not gonna win games. That's that's pretty clear. You realize there's a 2019 Pacers reunion on the Spurs right now between McDermott and Thad. I do. So that that gives me my heart a little. Uh, a little warmth because, and you know, San Antonio is also a, a lovable city in my mind. So for that to happen there is, is really good for me. I just, I think the Spurs are going to be a disaster next year. Like it was, their bill was due, right? They haven't had a lottery season, like a real, real lottery season. Like the last couple of years they were in contention. They made the play in this year. They almost beat the Grizzlies. I think this will be their worst season since 96, 97, the year where they where David Robinson got hurt and they got Tim Duncan. I think that this could be that level of bad. And you know what? Given this Spurs lottery luck, I wouldn't hate it for them. The two times they've gotten the number one pick, David Robinson and Tim Duncan. Not bad. Hey man, it's it's only been 25 years. So, you know, they, they had a good run. Don't remind me of my impending age. I'm not 24 yet, but I will be in a couple months. But I'm, it's just uh, 25 years since their last real lottery pick is crazy. Um, we already you talked about the Utah signings. I don't you know I hate the Whiteside signing. They had to do something, but I love the Rudy Gay signing for them. I love yeah. Utah getting Rudy Gay. That's really good for them. Um, it it offsets my love for Rudy Gay offsets my hate for Hassan Whiteside. So that's about a draw there. Um. Let's talk about Dennis Schroeder real quick. He hasn't signed anywhere. 
But I don't think Dennis Schroeder is as bad as people are making him out to be after that series. I think he had, I think he was suffering from COVID before he came into the series. And I think he just kind of got thrown off his rhythm. Yeah, I think Schroeder, we'll see. It seems like he may end up on the Celtics, which makes sense because that's like the last really glaring point guard availability at this point. Um, But again, the point guard market's been so cold, which is really shocking. Uh, it kind of seems like it's usually the opposite, but maybe maybe the market's just oversaturated now where guards are just kind of eating each other's money at this point. Uh, but, yeah, like if he goes to Boston, I think that's a really nice fit. Like that's – I think it would be a great fit for both sides. Like Boston needs someone that can ball handle outside of Tatum and Brown – and I don't want Al Horford to be the guy doing it at this point. He can, but he shouldn't. So that would be good. And, and money-wise, again, I think they're going to get a deal. Like, we'll see. I don't know their financial situation, but I can't imagine it's great considering they just got Horford. Um, but, you know, I again, we'll see what happens there. But I don't think Schroeder is bad at all. I mean – that Lakers team this year was just a disaster. Like there was so much going on and there's been a lot of roster turnover the past few years. Like ever since they've got AD, it's just been a mess. They just are flopping or flipping guys in and out at all times. And, you know, continuity is generally pretty important. They still want a title, but we'll see. Uh, But yeah, I, I think Schroeder is a solid guy and, to me, he's definitely like the best available at this point. And again, a team like Boston, I think, would be pretty happy to get him. Agreed. Um, let's just rapid fire through a couple of things. The Nuggets getting Jeff Green and re-signing Jamichael Green and re-signing Will Barton. I really like their offseason. Yeah, okay. I'm not going to call out Bryce Shaddy, but I was scrolling to the TikToks, you know, the other day, and he was talking about how the, the Nuggets have too many role players It's like, I understand that he doesn't really like Aaron Gordon, and I I can understand that. I I like the idea of Aaron Gordon more than I like Aaron Gordon. I still think he could be good there. But, and I even commented this on the TikTok, that like, all-stars don't grow on trees. You don't just go and get them. It's not something that's easily done. And if the best you can do is sign Jeff Green and re-sign some of your productive guys from last year, Like, that's good. I mean, the Nuggets, I still don't trust MPJ long-term and and Murray's hurt. But, like, that's a solid top three. If Aaron Gordon's your fourth-best starter, I mean, I don't think you're you're too upset about that. So, I don't – I think Bryce is being a little unfair. I think think they're in a pretty good spot right now. This is a team that, like, I know Avery Bradley was not good last year. We saw him be very good in 1920. They could really use Avery Bradley. I feel like that's a team that should just go out there and be like, hey, you want to rehabilitate your value? Come play defense, come make open shots, and you'll get a better bag in 2022. Um, and then I think the last team we got to talk about, because none of the other teams really rise to the level of being that interesting of off seasons, is the Mavs. Um, resigned Hardaway. They signed Reggie Bullock to three years, 30 and a half million. They signed Sterling Brown, resigned Boban. Um, are the Mavericks just going to stay in the same place for the entirety of Lucas stay there? 
<laughs> Man, it may even get worse. It's, it's kind of funny looking back to last year. We were both such a big fan of the Josh Richardson and Seth Curry flip, and it has just quickly gone the other way. Like, Josh Richardson, I don't think it was him individually as a talent. I just don't think it was a great fit. Like, him and Hardaway and Luca and Jalen Brunson, like, it was kind of too many cooks in the kitchen type of deal. And flipping him for Moses Brown is just a – it's just a tough loss. Like, that's – I mean, you traded Seth Curry, who was awesome for Philly this year in the playoffs, and you get Moses Brown, who was, like, getting 20 and 20 on one of the worst teams in the league. You know, it's like – and they need center help. I think their lack of size was pretty apparent this year, but I don't know. I I am not a huge fan of where they're at right now. The Mavs have been heavily linked to Goran Dragic if the Raptors get off of him, which makes sense. I think that the trade would be – Dragic for Dwight Powell and something else. Mm. But, I mean, we still have to wait to see. I think they could use another – like, they need someone at the actual point guard position. I thought Kemba would have fit wonderfully there, even if he wasn't bought out. I thought that would have been a good trade destination for him, but that obviously didn't work out. Um, maybe Schroeder goes there if they can't get Dragic. So, we'll see about that. Um, I think that's everything for the Western Conference. Let's go ahead and move on to the Eastern Conference. And I think there's no better place to start than the team in the NBA's glamour market. I'm, of course, talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, we'll save them for later. Uh, Let's go ahead and talk about the Knicks. So they re-signed Derrick Rose, Alec Burks, and Nerlens Noel to three-year contracts each. And each of them got a team option at the end of it. Evan Fournier got a four-year, $78 million contract his last year as a team option. They signed Kemba Walker to a two-year, $16 million contract, and they signed Julius Randle to a four-year, $117 million extension. Um, Dylan, how are you feeling? It feels like the Knicks moves on day one looked catastrophic. Then they got Kemba Walker, and it looked so much better. How are you feeling about the overall temperature of their – how are you feeling about their moves overall? I'm feeling okay. I mean, I think their guard play is going to be much better. Like, Fournier and Kemba, I think, gives their starting lineup a pretty good balance because you had Alfred Payton last year, and that's really all you need to say. (laughs) Basically, anyone in the league over Alfred Payton is a great start. Um, And, you know, I liked Bullock. I think he was a good spacer for them, but Fournier is obviously a lot more dynamic on offense. So that's good. And obviously Derek Rose has been awesome the past few years. Alec Burks was really good in the playoffs. Like I understand why they've signed everyone that they've signed, but I'm just looking at their bench. I just don't trust that it's going to hold up because so first of all, you're not going to have quickly play again. The, the great rookie that you got at the 27th pick who has one of the best floaters in the league already is going to be ousted once again, which with Thibodeau in power is not shocking, but I still think it's just kind of a waste of opportunity with him. And they drafted another guard, by the way. So the, they're very guard heavy right now. And on the flip side, they have no wings behind RJ Barrett. Like literally I don't trust any of the wings outside of Barrett on that team. So I don't know. Like I'm looking like the Pacers signed Tory Craig. 
I feel like that would be a guy that would have been nice on the Knicks. You know, like the fringe, you don't need a ton of like talent, like just some guys that can defend and hit open shots. I don't know. I, I don't, I just don't really feel good about their bench. And you can say who cares about the bench. Like they got Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier and I get that, but at some point it's going to matter. And you know, that RJ Barrett's going to have to play 45 minutes a game. And, uh, if you want to look at our old pal, Lou Aldang, I would say that's not a good idea. <laughs> Sir, how dare you? Um, RJ, I think they're banking on a couple things. First of all, I think they're banking on RJ taking a leap, right? He was, I know that Dylan Hughes is not the biggest fan, is not the biggest Knicks fan, but RJ was pretty freaking good last year, right? Like, for a second-year guy having a lot of responsibility foisted upon him, was he good in the playoffs? No. But, again, he was 20 years old, right? There's a lot of room for improvement there. He's going to have a lot more spacing on the floor. Um, You brought back your three best role players, right, in the playoffs, in Noel, Rose, and uh, Burks. Burks had a – I don't remember seeing him in the regular season at all. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I don't remember seeing him during any of our next weeks, but he – showed up big time in the playoffs for them and that's what they needed. So, and then I think that Noel, I thought he was going to take a lot less money, but good for him getting a, a big deal after turning, after being, he's my Nerland Noel all-star team of guys who turned down too, too much money. And Dennis Schroeder is the starting point guard of that team. I, I'm going to form a more consequential list as the years go on, but yeah, Nerland's at least he gets some money. He's going to, I mean, he deserves it. Frankly, he was all defense caliber to me last year. Fournier and Kemba are both a lot better shooters. I'm not better than Bullock, but not having Alfred Payton out there is like addition by subtraction. (laughs) That is just, it's just going to be great for them to not have Payton out there. And then you draft Grimes, who is going to knock down threes at the backup two spot. I think that they have a really... It sucks because I think they'll be better than they were last year. Like just as like a team, but the rest of the East is getting better around them. So they're going to look worse by comparison. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think it's interesting. I've seen a lot of debate on Twitter, like who, how the East is going to shape up. And I don't have almost any conviction about teams outside of Milwaukee or Brooklyn right now in Miami, I guess like, I think those are the firm, like, top three teams. Everyone else you could pretty much talk me into. Like, I think there's tiers, but the Knicks could definitely be the fourth seed or they could definitely be the ninth seed. Like, I think the East is going to be really tight from four to ten, maybe even a little bit deeper than that. I I, I don't think it's going to be as bad as the West at the bottom. Like, Orlando's going to get healthy. You know, Cleveland and Detroit – maybe are still going to suck, but I think they'll be better at least. So it's, it's not going to, I think it's going to be more competitive in like the middle class region of the East. And that's where the Knicks fall. So it's like, they're definitely, I think going to be a better team, at least offensively. I would be surprised if they were as good defensively as they were this year. People are like convinced that they're just going to get, either better on defense or the same. And I don't know how they can come to that conclusion, but I, I, I don't know, but I think they will be better on offense, 
but the teams around them, that's what worries me. And I also don't want to just act like Kemba was not terrible last year. I mean, he was on a better team. Well, I mean, technically the Knicks were a better team last year, but Boston, like Boston had better players, I think, than the Knicks. It just, there was a lot of things that happened, obviously, but Kemba was just not good last year and he wasn't good the year before in the playoffs. So I think expecting Kemba to just be like this all-star guard is also setting way too high of expectations. But even if he's not, he's not getting paid like an all-star, right? Like you could look at to buy, like, I don't like to look at players contracts and be like, okay, this is what this guy should be doing, but I'll just throw out an example, right? Vice Harris got a five-year, $180 million contract, right? And he's not going to live up to that contract because he's not that caliber of player. But they had to sign him to that contract because they – what else were they going to do, right? So I think that the way people look at it from the outside, relative to a salary, if he does what he did last year and improves the efficiencies a little bit, I think it'll look great by comparison because he'll only be making $8 million a year. Like, I, he's going to be getting paid – Less than a mid-level. He's getting paid less than TJ McConnell per year. Like, as good as TJ McConnell was, Kemba Walker at half health is better than TJ McConnell. I feel comfortable saying that, right? I just... And look, he's making almost what campaign's making, right? If you had Kemba Walker in a campaign role, how comfortable would you be? So I think that's where I'm less hung up. Like, he... I think if Randall can be, you know... 80% 80% as good as he was last year. If RJ can get a little better and Fournier and Kemba can be what they were in 1920, uh, last year was bad for both of them, not just Kemba. If they can be at where they were in 1920, I think that they have a chance to win 45 games. You know, I don't really care about the money, honestly. Yeah. I'm more, I'm more interested in like the opportunity cost of pretty much any other guard on this roster not playing and I guess the money does have an impact on that because you don't really have the political aspects of oh we have to start Kemba because he makes 30 a year you know it's like oh fuck Kemba he makes eight a year we're gonna play Derrick Rose you know like that could be a possibility if he really sucks but I still if Derrick Rose has to be your starting point guard because Kemba sucks I don't think you're gonna be better than last year and it, it's not because I don't like Derrick Rose. I think Derrick Rose has been awesome. Like, his story the past three or four years has been really fun to watch. But this team, with the way it's built right now, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and either Mitchell Robinson or New Orleans Noel, because Robinson gets hurt every month. Like, though, you have three non-spacers on the floor. So, Derrick Rose is a better shooter than he used to be, but, I mean – Ideally, Kemba Walker is a better floor spacer. So you want someone like that out there with those guys. And if you have to go to Burks or Derrick Rose, who both need the ball way more than Kemba does, I just I worry about the flow of their offense. Like we we've talked all year. You you know I don't like I don't like really Randall. I like Barrett more than Randall, but I don't like Randall's play style. And he basically relies on spacing. If he doesn't have proper spacing and if he doesn't have the ball enough, he's, he sucks. And the fact that they extended him to a, a, a contract where he makes 29 a year after he just shot 36% in the playoffs, I still think is funny. But 
I mean, this this team is built right now where Kimba and Fournier both have to be good floor spacers. Otherwise, you're just going to have to put those other guards out there that need the ball, which takes the ball out of both Randall and Barrett's hands, and that's just going to make your offense a lot clunkier. I mean, it could be like – like, you know how last year in Charlotte, like everyone's like, oh, they have the perfect mix of ball handlers? I think it could kind of be a situation like that where – Everyone kind of takes a step back individually, but they look better as a whole because they're all, you know, taking turns, being more dynamic. Plus, if Tibbs has any sense, he'll stagger guys, right? Like, he'll play RJ with bench guys, so, or he'll play Randall with bench guys. He'll play um, Fournier with bench guys, right? Like, if you stagger this right, I think you have 48 minutes of shot creation, which is something you definitely did not have last year. You had about 38 minutes of shot creation because that's how many minutes Julius Randall played. Which, by the way, getting these guys will be great for him because he'll – he won't have to play as much next year. I think they, you know, they probably should sign another backup power forward because Randall's not a center. They don't really have anyone to back him up at the fourth spot unless they think Kevin Knox can all of a sudden turn into something, which good luck. I I think that that's their one weak spot right now, but I think that they have a legitimate shot. I think the defense will take another step down too. I agree the defense won't be as good as it was last year. But these guys will play hard every single night. And that's just the staple of a Tibbs team. And if you can get 70 games, or hell, not even 70, if you can get 60 games out of Kemba, I think that's a that's a positive development. And if you last year, he I was surprised when I saw this. He was at 19 points a game. If you can get the points, if you can get 16 points a game on 42 and 38 shooting splits, I think you got something there. Yeah, I I agree with that. I, I don't think Kemba has to do – he doesn't have to put in the world, you know, to be effective for this team. But back to, like back to your Charlotte comparison, I just think it's a lot easier to balance multiple ball handlers when they're guards, especially guards like that that can move around um, and play off ball. Randall is not an off-ball player. Like that that is my problem with him. He's, he's a ball stopper. He's going to get the ball – and he's going to try to dribble down to the paint, and he's either going to kick it out to a shooter because he can't get his own bucket, or he's going to get a bucket. Like, that's his style of play, and that's why I just don't enjoy watching him. Like, he's one of my least favorite players to watch. That's why I talk so much shit, because I just hate watching him. And I I think the fact that he was so – like, I'm not going to deny that he was great last year. He was definitely worthy of being an all-star. But the playoffs proved me right. And I knew that was going to happen. When it matters, he is not reliable. And that's why, like, move, the moves they made, I think, in the playoffs could very well make them a lot more dangerous because this past year, it's like, oh, no, we have to go to Derrick Rose and Alec Burks to win this series. <laughs> like, how many times out of 100 are you going to win a series like that? Not many. But if you can rely on Kemba and Fournier and an improved Barrett, you have much better odds. It, like if, if they can operate this team where they don't have to rely on Randall in the playoffs, then they're great. And I think these moves definitely put them in a better spot for that, but it definitely, a lot of it hinges on Kemba actually being reliable. If Philadelphia doesn't make any trades, New York has to pray that they play the Sixers in the first round, because I don't see them beating any of the other top teams in the conference. I mean, they didn't beat Atlanta. 
<laughs> and there's a chance we're not really going to talk much about Atlanta, but I think Atlanta got better. I really do. I like their signings they made. So it's going to be tough watching this team, um, watching them go. But in the interest of time, I feel like we got to move on. There were three teams that made a lot of moves. Who would you like to talk about next? The Chicago Bulls or the Miami Heat? I say we go to the Heat. The Heat? All right. So they've had probably the busiest offseason. They acquired Kyle Lowry in a sign-in trade for uh, Dragic and Francis Achua. They re-signed Duncan Robinson to a five-year, $90 million contract. They signed P.J. Tucker to two years, $15 million. They re-signed Dwayne Dedman, Max Struess, and Victor Oladipo to minimum contracts. And they signed Markeith Morris to minimum. Jimmy Butler also is getting a max extension. Really busy offseason for the Heat. They're trying to go all in. The question is, Dylan, there's really one question with Miami's offseason. Are they better than Brooklyn or Milwaukee? Well, first of all, we're looking at the same document. To overlook Gabe Vincent like that is really, really embarrassing on your behalf. I mean, just uh, a a really tough oversight from Alex Burr right there. He's going to be one of the best 15th men on a roster in the league. So he beat the U.S. in an exhibition game this year. And you still overlooked him for Max Struess. Unbelievable. I thought I said Gabe Vincent. He's like a, he's like a dollar tree. He's like a cent tree, Duncan Robinson, Max Struess. So um, yeah, shout out to Max Struess for that. But are they better than Brooklyn or Milwaukee? I say no, because I think both of those teams got better. And both of those teams were better than Miami this year. And did either of those teams get Kyle Lowry? No. But I do think Kyle Lowry is the perfect fit for Bam and Jimmy because Bam and Jimmy can't shoot. And having a glue guy point guard that can shoot and pass and play defense and make all the small effort plays is, first of all, it fits into their culture really well. Like, he's going to be taking charges like a motherfucker, and that's that's really good for Miami culture. So that's a good fit there. And on the floor, too, just in basketball sense, I think it, it's going to be a really good balance for them. And, I mean, their point guard situation, like, they got lucky that Drogic had a great run last year in the, fi- in the playoffs because he's getting older and, like, he got lucky that teams were just defending Miami so stupidly and letting Drogic get open threes. Like literally I would love to see how many threes he in that playoff run, but I would guess 60% at least came from him just getting wide open looks because the defense was stupid. Mostly Milwaukee just, they sold out on Duncan Robinson. They let Drogic hit a bunch of open threes instead. I mean, great strategy, bud. I'm glad that he, uh, you know, came back this year, but it was just a terrible defensive strategy. They got lucky that that teams were that stupid and that Drogic could get that many open shots. And, you know, they tried to fill the gap last year. Like, none sucks. He's gone. Oladipo was – he was actually pretty good, but then he got hurt. Um, So they didn't really have many options like ball handlers outside of Jimmy Bam. So it was just Jimmy and Bam doing all of it. And it really impacted how they played. I mean, they were fine, but obviously not what they were the year before. So it's a huge addition. 
And, I mean, getting Tucker, too, I think is really big because their four spot last year was just shaky. It's just funny they traded Olenek, and he ended up being awesome on Houston. And he was way better than Oladipo was, obviously, because Oladipo was hurt. But, I mean, they filled – I think they filled all the holes they needed to. And they're undoubtedly the third best team in the East to me. But I still don't think they have the firepower to top Brooklyn or Milwaukee. Yeah, well, I think they could. I think the way they do it is by Victor Oladipo having the bounce-back season of all bounce-back seasons. I think that that's how you get the firepower, right? If he can be what he was, his, let's face it, Victor Oladipo, My cat muted me there for a second. Victor Oladipo has had a very challenging uh, couple seasons in Indiana. He got traded to Houston. That wasn't fun for him. And then he got traded to Miami where he only played four games. So he's really, since 2019, he just hasn't had it, right? He didn't look, I don't know. You might disagree with me. I thought in the bubble, he was underwhelming. Vic was. And I thought that... Just last year, he wasn't all that great. Like in Miami, he looked fine, but he only played four games. <laughs> like he hasn't stayed healthy, and he needs to. He needs to get back to form because I'm sure he thought he was going to get a massive payday this summer, and it just it didn't materialize for obvious reasons. Like of course he wasn't going to get a massive payday. He's been, he's had one great season, and then he hasn't been able to stay on the court the rest of those seasons after that. Yeah, I think I again off season is the time for ideal thinking, and that's what we're doing a lot here. But I just I don't see Oladipo being that great. I mean, it's it's going to be better for him because he's going to be in a bench role, and he's going to be going against terrible defenders and really small guys. Like he's going to have a ton of matchup advantages because. Bench guards are bench guards for a reason. You know, they, they they have one glaring weakness at least. They either can't handle, they can't pass, they can't shoot, they can't defend. Like, it's something. And a guy like Oladipo, who can do all that stuff well, is going to be able to take advantage of that. But he has been injured basically every year since being an all-star in, what was that, 2017? Yep. So... It's it's been downhill from there. Like I'm kind of wondering if he's gonna have an Isaiah Thomas type ending where he has one awesome season that ev- everyone loves him. It's a great story, and then he gets hurt, and it's just never the same. And I don't want that for him, but I'm just kind of wondering at this point. You know, the the injuries are piling up, and guards where there's a lot of you know physical tear wear and tear on your body. I mean. It's it's worrisome, and I would love to see him have a great season coming off the bench and, you know, winning sixth man of the year or something like that, but that relies on him staying on the court. And is he even supposed to come back, like, by the start of the season, or is he due for later on? I have no idea. That's an excellent question because I don't remember what he exactly even had surgery on in the second – when he got to – after he got to Miami because he played – I'm going to pull up the game log, but I think he he was playing before the All-Star break in Houston. And then he got traded at the deadline, obviously, for a bag of beans. And then he uh, he played 
a week after the All-Star break, he played those four games, and then he didn't play the last 20 games of the season and in the playoffs. So, yeah, if he can't come back by the time the season starts and he only plays like 40 games, minimum might be the way to go again next year. And then he might be out of the league after that, which is crazy. He made all NBA in actual like years, years. He made all NBA three years ago, right? Think about what the fall from grace has been for him. And I think the Isaiah Thomas comp is a good one. I just think that he he can't stay healthy. So it sucks, but that's just that's the way it is. Um, the Lowry thing helps them a lot. Because he, like you said, gives the shooting. He's an elite defender. Um, but can he shut down Kyrie? <laughs> That's the main thing here. Like, Drew will shut himself down. We saw that plenty in the playoffs. <laughs> he yeah. misses layups constantly. If he... <laughs> this is a quick sidebar. If Drew Holiday made layups, he'd be a top 15 player in the league. <laughs> like, no exaggeration. He'd be one of the 15 best players in the league. <laughs> but he can't. So he's not. But Drew... You don't have to worry about that. Um, there's no other real like elite point guards that you have to worry about shutting down. Obviously, Kyle draws a ton of charges, which isn't good for his body. But I just I wonder. I don't think it moves the needle, and I really don't think PJ Tucker moves the needle. Yeah, they needed help at the four, but like I thought PJ fit Milwaukee well because they needed that physical guy that you could body against KD, that you could body against. I mean, there was really no one else to body against, but you get what I'm saying. I don't think that Miami needed that kind of guy. Like, they have a ton of tough guys. They have Jimmy. They have, you know, Bam. If he's not going to – if P.J. Tucker is not going to hit threes, then what is he doing for you out there? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, him and exchanging Iguodala for him is like a net zero gain. You know, like, there's – you're basically getting the same thing, which is not enough. Like – Iguodala was, I mean, his offense the past few years has just basically been worthless, which he is, he hasn't been a good offensive threat in a long time anyway, but obviously those Warriors team, you know, he played a vital role, not as much shooting and scoring, but even his defense at this point, like his, he's been in the league a long, long time. So you can't expect him to be, you know, top tier defender anymore. And Tucker is just, I don't even know what's happened with him. Was it just philosophy? Because with the Rockets, like he was putting up a lot of shots and within a year he goes to a new team and all of a sudden he's not doing anything on offense. So I don't know if that's just coaching and obviously Dan Tony was wanting uh, him to shoot corner threes, but I don't know. It's, I think it's, it's still an upgrade over what they had. Um, but it, it's not a huge deal. Uh, I still think they probably could afford to get another option in either free agency or trade. Just like a, I don't, I don't even know who's out there that would be worthwhile, but they, they still have a little bit of fortifying to do. But if that's their one weak spot, I still think they're in really good spot. Who would you have rather had if you're in Miami? Would you have rather had PJ Tucker for the mid-level exception, or would you rather have Paul Millsap for the minimum? I, I, I think I would take Millsap, like, for any team. His three-point shooting is terrible, too, at this point. But he's a better passer, and he's just a smarter offensive player, I think. So I would, I would rather have him. 
Would you like to know what defensive ace PJ Tucker held Kevin Durant to in the second round? Looking back on the percentages. I would love to. So Kevin Durant scored 35 points a game on 49% shooting from the field. He had a 50 point game and he had a 48 point game within three games of each other. Like, yeah, PJ's defense was really good. But you're not stopping Kevin Durant. P.J. Tucker didn't stop Kevin Durant. The reason the Bucks won that series is because, I, I hate to say it, but Kyrie and Harden both got hurt. And Giannis and Middleton just outlasted KD. That's literally the reason why they won that series. I don't think it's controversial. As much as I love the Bucks and I predicted them to beat the Nets with Kyrie when without Harden, but still. I think that the way that Giannis and Middleton played just overshadowed the way KD played. Yeah. I mean, the thing is Tucker, like Tucker was brought to Toronto long, long ago to stop LeBron. Like that, that's just the, you can't stop these guys. You have to outscore them. And I mean, as you just said, like what, what the bucks brought offensively is really what allowed them to, not only beat the Nets, but win the finals. I mean, as good as a defensive team as they were, and, like, obviously you need defensive stops at certain times, but you got to score points. That's why, you know, I joke about defense not mattering, but you take offense over defense any day, and that's just the way the league has become. If you want to be a 50-year-old and say that defense wins championships, that's fine. I, I ultimately agree that you have to have a good defense to win a championship, because all the teams do, but they also have pretty good offenses and they also have superstar talent. So that's really what it comes down to. Would you like to know who the second leading scorer for the Brooklyn Nets was in the second round? Like in terms of total points, not in terms of points per game. Hmm. My, my heart is wanting me to say Bruce Brown, but I know it's not. Uh, I'm going to say Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin scored 84 points, four more than Kyrie Irving did in four games. So, and Blake, Blake is still good. I like, there's no way looking back on it. It was preposterous that we thought, I mean, Brooklyn almost did win that series without, but still it just was, it was rough and the bucks got lucky and most champions do, but I feel like the heat, they're in a great spot, but I, I just don't feel like this is championship material. I feel like Brooklyn is going to coast to the Eastern Conference Championship, like even with an injury or two. <laughs> like if one of the three gets hurt, the other two are going to come out with a vengeance, right? As long as KD doesn't get hurt. I think KD is the difference maker, but if they lose one of Harden or Kyrie, and if Harden comes back at full strength, I think that they're the, – I just don't think that he could beat – the Nets, and then I don't think the they can beat the Bucks either. They, who do they have on this roster that's stopping Giannis? I mean, maybe Bam did hold Giannis down in the first round, but Giannis is going to come back better next year. Middleton's going to be better next year, and Drew's going to be better next year. I just I just don't see it. Yeah, and we like we saw Bud finally went to Giannis at the five, which that's the unstoppable switch right there, and they won the finals with it. So. I think he's probably going to go back to normal in the regular season and not put too much wear and tear on Giannis, but they're going to go to it in the playoffs again. And I mean, I don't even know who, like maybe Gobert could slow that down. Maybe 
even though the movement is not up to par. Like, I, I don't know. I don't think anyone could stop Giannis in the paint. I mean, DeAndre Ayton was, like, actually a pretty good option, and he couldn't do it. He got killed. Like, early on, he held his own, but he got outgassed. I mean, he was he was done by the end, on both ends, really. So, even, even a great defender like Bam, I don't think could do it. The length just doesn't compare. And on the, you know, you still got to stop all the other guys too. So it's going to be tough. And, you know, on the Brooklyn point, I think Brooklyn this, this year was probably their worst case scenario. And they still almost made it to the Eastern Conference finals. Like Kyrie and Harden both missed time in that series. Joe Harris was terrible. They got better with Patty Mills. Like there's no reason to think this team is not going to be way better unless all three of them get hurt. I think they'd be better if two of them were still hurt because I, I think Blake Griffin is, is a really good, like he he'd be a good second or third option. If you had to have him like that, obviously not ideal, but KD, he can, uh, he covers for a lot of issues. He's like a wide casting net of problem solving. So beating them is it's with the Nets, I think it's more going to be about them beating themselves and being injured than anyone stopping them, including Miami. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent way to wrap up the Miami section. Let's go ahead and move on to Chicago real quick before we rapid fire the rest of the conference. Um, Chicago has added a lot of pieces. We already talked about the Lonzo Ball trade. Um, they signed Alex Caruso to a four-year, $37 million contract. They signed and traded Daniel Tice to Houston for a trade exception. Um, they acquired DeMar DeRozan in a sign-and-trade for Thaddeus Young, Alfred Camino, a future first and two seconds. They signed Tony Bradley to a one-year deal. They re-signed Javante Green to a two-year deal. We were ta- This was the first team I brought up to you before the pod. I'm fascinated by them. Um, it feels like this team has as wide – it feels like they could – be at the fringes of the play and, and maybe even miss it, or it feels like they could get all the way up to like the fourth seed. Like, what do you think this Bulls team realistic outcome is? Yeah, again, I think that Eastern Conference middle class, like they're in it. It's like a team of, it's a group of six or seven teams that literally put them anywhere. I could, I could see it. I could see them falling anywhere. I don't think there's a discernible difference between any of those teams. I think fit and chemistry and injuries is ultimately what's going to settle that. As far as talent, I mean, maybe you put like Atlanta at the top right now, but I don't think there's a huge discernible difference between the rest because a lot of the other teams either have holes or they don't have the talent, the top end talent to really sway you. And this Bulls team is fascinating. Like I, I love the off season. I think their bench right now is pretty thin, but getting Caruso, I think was really solid. Their, their guard rotation is really good um, on both ends. Like they, they kind of do everything. So that's exciting. Like, obviously what we're going to focus on is Lonzo Levine and DeMar. Um, So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it fits. Like those are three guys that all, are going to be better with the ball. Levine and Lonzo have shown that they can play off the ball and be successful. So I'm not too concerned about it. I think if those two had to step off ball more, they would do it. Cause we know DeMar has to be on the ball. 
Like that's just kind of who he is. And the way he's played in San Antonio the past few years, I think he would be a great like lead ball handler for this team. I mean, he has gotten really, really good as a passer. Obviously his pull-up shooting is probably one of the best in the league. He can't shoot threes or at least he doesn't want to, which is fine. Um, I mean, I think those other two guys really solve like a lot of the, they balance him out. Levine elite shooting both on and off ball, great off ball player as well. Lonzo is ideally a good defender. I still think he's probably a little bit overrated as a defender at this point, but he's a good team defender and that's at least something Patrick Williams is going to be, I wouldn't shot, be shocked if he's one of the best defenders in the league like soon. Like he has that kind of upside and he's also got some good upside on offense. And obviously Vucevic, who him and Levine had a really nice chemistry at the end of the year when they finally played together after like two or three weeks of having COVID or whatever that was. Um, but like those two built some nice chemistry and then putting those other two like just really good shot creators in the lineup, like, I could – I mean, there's obviously potential for too many cooks in the kitchen, but I think you could pretty easily balance it out, just have DeMar play with the bench or have Lonzo play with the bench. Like, I think you could balance it out a certain way where you wouldn't have to worry too much about it. Um, but we'll see. Like, on the surface, I think the moves were great and probably the best offseason Chicago's had. And, I mean, you would know better than me. It's been a long time. Probably the best one we've had since 2011 or 2010 when we uh, got Boozer. But even then, Boozer turned out to be a flaming disaster after the second year of that contract. Um, I like the moves. I want to see what they do to fill out their bench. They really could have used the first round pick this year. Really? Like, if they were getting Franz Wagner in addition to all the guys they had on their roster, I think it would make a lot more sense. But you're trying to go like, this Bulls, Jerry Reinsdorf's getting old. They want to make the playoffs, right? And I'm glad he's finally spending some money. <laughs> you know, I'm glad. But I think trading all your first-round picks, they don't have a first-round pick to trade until 2027. Because the Spurs, the pick they traded to the Spurs was the 2025 pick. And I just feel like if you manage your cards right and you drafted, the real sin the Garpacks committed was drafting horribly. Like... And this is no offense to Wendell or Lowry or Chris Dunn. I mean, they didn't pick Chris Dunn, but they basically got him in the uh, Jimmy trade. The real sin they made was just not drafting the right guys for the team. And part of that is having Jim Boy- Jim fucking Boylan as your coach so you don't develop the guys. And I'm not saying they're settling here, but it feels like this team can't get much. They're not going to win the championship. This team is physically incapable of winning the championship to win a championship with Vucevic as your center. You have to have the right team around him. This is not a team, right? To win the championship around Levine, I think would be easier, but this is not the right team to do that around him either. So you're going to, they're going to be one of the most fun teams in the league, right? DeMar is average seven assists a game last year, way more than I would have thought, right? Like he was really good. I'm going to pull up the leaderboard. I bet you that's in the top, like not 10, but it's one of the leaders in the um in the league last year. Let's see. Assists per game. Russell Westbrook was the first. DeMar DeRozan was 11th. Did you ever – did you think five years ago that DeMar DeRozan would ever be in the top 15 for assists per game? 
Like, was that on you? Like, it's ridiculous. He has been so, so good passing in San Antonio and really his last, starting his last year in Toronto. But I think that his playmaking, it will be good for them. I think I could see this team winning. This team to me is in the 48, 44 to 48 win range. Right. I think that's a reasonable outcome for them because they're going to, they're just going to outscore a lot of teams. And if their defense can be in the top 20, then I think that's all it really needs to be if your offense is in the top five. Yeah, and I think that's honestly, like, pretty realistic. I mean, there's definitely going to be some meshing to be done, but I feel like the offense is going to come pretty seamless right off the bat because it may not be firing on all cylinders, but you have a lot of capable scorers. You have a lot of capable shooters. Like, it's going to work. It may not work as well as you want, and it may take time. It definitely will take time, but it's going to work. Like I, I just, they, they all have unique enough skill sets where I think it's going to fit well. And yeah, like they definitely need to make some improvements to the bench. I I honestly think Troy Brown jr. Is like a low key potential, uh, not swinging like any sort of, I mean, he could swing seating, I guess. Like I, I, I've liked Troy Brown jr. Since the draft, I think he could be, like not a six man, but like a seventh man. And hell, he only needs to be an eighth man because they have Kobe White and Alex Caruso too. So if you can get good production out of someone like that and, you know, maybe have a couple other good signings, then I think you're in a good spot. Like they're in a tough place because they traded three good reserves for DeMar and then Markinen wants to leave and he probably will. Uh, through restricted free agency. And, hey, maybe you get a sign and trade out of that. Like, that's a good avenue for them to get someone back is I don't even know where he could go at this point. But, you know, hell, like maybe Dallas says, hey, take Dwight Powell. You know, like that's something that is maybe not ideal, but it's a good avenue to get someone off the bench that's good at something. So I think they have a chance to to fill that bench out through that way or – Maybe they just get some minimum guy that's desperate. <laughs> but either way, I, I think it's going to work out pretty well. Or you say, hey, Washington, you have so many wings there. Why don't you take a shot on a guy with a lot of potential in Lowry and give us Kyle Kuzma, right? Something like that where they can get – they can steal a guy like that from some team like that. I I think that it will be interesting to see what they do in the regular season. Billy Donovan did a really good job in Oklahoma City in 2019-20 navigating like a similar similarly weird situation where you had SGA, Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, Daniel Gallinari, and Steven Adams. Obviously Steven Adams is a, was a way better defensive center in 1920 than uh, Vucevic ever can or would be. But I, I think that I trust Donovan. I think he'll do a good job with this team. Um, anything else to add about the Bulls before we rapid fire through some other Eastern Conference teams? No, sir. All right. I like the Hawks. This is just an observation here. I like the Hawks getting DeLon Wright and Gorgie Jang. I feel like that, especially since Okongu is going to miss a few months, I feel like that's a really good, I feel like those are really good signings for them. Or DeLon Wright was a trade, but I, I like those for them. Yeah, Jang, obviously, one of my favorite, like, bit players in the league. I mean, I think he's a really good backup center. Um, DeLon Wright is like... I always want more out of him, but he's fine. 
and he'll probably be better than Lou Will. But hey, if he's not, they still have Lou Will. So, I mean, they're they're gonna be fine. And I uh, I'm still gonna track the Cam Reddish thing. The Cam Reddish rumors at draft time are pretty hot. And you know, he's is he extension eligible now or is it next year? It it would be next year. Yeah. So I mean, maybe they maybe they wait till next draft to trade him if they want to. I I think it would be dumb to trade him. I don't even know why that was on the table, but maybe they're trying to sell high after the two good playoff games he had. But hey, you know, it, it's something um to watch for. But yeah, on paper. I mean, they didn't really have to do much, and I think they did make a couple small improvements, so you'll take that. When they re-signed John Collins to a five-year, $125 million contract, well-deserved. I think he had a phenomenal playoff run. Um, A guy who is extension eligible this year is Kevin Herter. Mm. I'd be very curious to see what they do with him because he feels like a very high candidate after he had a really good playoffs for a 22 year old i thought he was really good in the playoffs so i wouldn't be surprised if they sell high on him um the celtics i feel like the celtics i feel like they're in a weird spot they traded for josh richardson they uh traded for chris dunn sent tristan thompson to sacramento they oh that's like i forgot to put on the transaction sheet my bad um and they re-signed enos Cantor. Not he wasn't on the team last year, but yeah, famously, Enos Cantor is only going to teams now that he's played for before. Um, <laughs> I feel like the Celtics are kind of going to stagnate into that five to ten range. Yeah, again, they're part of that middle class, and if they can get Schroeder, I think that probably ticks them up to higher a higher middle class uh, team. But as it stands right now, that that point guard spot is pretty glaring right now. I think Josh Richardson could bounce back in Boston. I'm gonna. I think he was really good in Miami. I think the last two teams just weren't fits for him. I'm hoping that there's more space on the floor now for him to operate. Um, you know, hopefully they'll relinquish some of the ball handling duties between Tatum and Brown, and they'll let him handle some. So we'll we'll see about that. Um, Brooklyn. I feel like there's a lot more interesting stuff happening in the Eastern Conference than there is in the West. Personally, um, I'm just gonna say it right now: the East is better than the West. I think it's time. It's the first time I think we can comfortably say that since Michael Jordan played in the East, which is ridiculous, but <laughs> the talent in the East is just absurd right now. And the Nets. So they, uh, they got Javon Carter for Landry Shamit. We talked about that last week. I think they signed James Johnson. Bruce Brown took the qualifying offer. Blake Griffin re-signed for the vet minimum. Um, they signed Patty Mills to a two-year $12 million contract. Got 11.5 million trade exception for uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. And I feel like the Nets, like like we talked about earlier, I just feel like they're in the driver's seat. Yeah, and that trade exception is – that could get you a really nice player. So that's another – like if, if they do have injury problems, that's a really nice asset to have. And like let's just say the Cleveland's losing at the deadline. The Nets have kept all their – not all their picks, but the Nets – um, have a lot of second-round picks. Let's just say they throw three second-round picks Cleveland's way and say, hey, here's a – give us Larry Nance or something like that. Like, that's the kind of salary range you're talking about here, and I think that that could work for them. Um, Shout-out to Caleb Lynn, who I know when he hears this part of the podcast will say, get a room with Larry Nance. Um, <laughs> the Charlotte Hornets, they – we talked about the Plumley trade a little bit in passing last week. They talked. We talked about the Graham trade earlier. Ish Smith – Signed to a two-year deal. I believe one of those years is an option. Then Kelly Oubre, two-year, $26 million. Um, I think the Hornets might get a little 
they'll either get a lot better or a little worse next year. But I think they're in an interesting spot right now with LaMelo. Yeah, their awesome guard rotation is like getting Ish Smith is just tough. Like going from Devontae Graham and Malik Monk to Ish Smith and Book Knight, who I think is going to be good, but he's a rookie. You know, it's it's interesting to watch. It could definitely work out. I mean, I don't expect Ish Smith to work out at all, but if you put him with a bunch of spacing, it'll probably be fine. And as long as they don't do like the Wizards did and play him with two other point guards at the same time, um, then they're probably okay. But Kelly Oubre, uh, I just flicker back and forth on what I think of him. I thought he was like really good in Phoenix, and then this season I thought he sucked. Like I don't know what I think of him. So thirteen million is probably like a fair number. Um, he could either be awesome or terrible. Like I honestly have no idea which one it's going to be. I think it'll benefit him. In Phoenix, he was really good because they were playing him at the power forward. And in Golden State, they were playing him at the shooting guard, right? And I know we say positions don't matter, but it kind of does because one of them, you're playing more of a big man role and the other, you're asked to be guarding quicker guys. And I think Uber is strong. Like I think he's 6'7", 230, which is pretty much the same dimension as Miles Bridges. So if you have two guys with Miles Bridges dimensions out there for the whole game, I think you're in a good spot defensively at the four spot. It's one of the hardest spots to fill is a guy that can guard bigger fours. So I think that's a good get for them personally. And if, especially if they run a lot, I think Kelly Oubre will benefit the team there. Like I looked up his transition stats last night. Cause I was curious. The teams are always better in transition when he's on the floor. So every, like pretty much every team he's played on for the last couple of years. So I think they'll really benefit from getting out and running. And I think he'll be, you know, he'll be a, a recipient of a lot of good Lamelo passes, a lot of good Ish Smith passes. So we'll see if he can hit jumpers. Then I think he'll be playing crunch time minutes for them personally. But I think that um, the, we'll see where the Hornets are. They're definitely in that play in range for sure. I think that that's pretty much their destiny, not their fault. Again, the East is just getting better around them. Speaking of the East, another team that will be surely be better next year. Your Indiana Pacers, um, you talked about the TJ McConnell contract, four years, 35 million, and then Torrey Craig for two years, 10 million. Um, they got to get rid of some guys, but it feels like the guys that they are going to play next year are going to be really good. Yeah, they're deep. Like, this is the deepest team they've ever had. I mean, Edmund Sumner is all of a sudden back to, like, not playing, even though I think he was good this year. I mean, his outside of the shot, I think he's really good. Like, he is fast as hell, which is great for transition. His finishing solid, his passing is solid defense, and he's not going to play. Like I that the fact that he's not going to play, I think is a good good sign for this roster, just the shape it's in. Uh I mean Jeremy Lamb is probably on the outskirts at this point. Like they're going to play Duarte this year. There's no way they don't. And when you have him and Holiday, like where does Lamb fill in? Cuz he's not going to play the 4. You know, after Brissett's year and the kid they just drafted from Kentucky is probably going to play some too. So I, I, I think Lamb is – I would be surprised if he wasn't traded. I mean, he's – I mean, hell, that's a guy that, you know, Brooklyn could go after if they got desperate at some point. But a lot of teams, if they need backup wing help like the Knicks, you know, hey, here's whatever, a trade exception or some, uh, some kid with potential and a second-round pick. Take, we'll take Jeremy Lamb, you know, like that's probably where that ends up. But 
again. The only thing I worry about with the Pacers is the top end talent. I mean, the the highest ceiling guy they pretty much have is Sabonis, I guess, and he's like a fringe all star. So we'll see. Like it's they're just one of those teams that's gonna have to work really well together, be solid on both ends of the floor and stay healthy. Like that's that's all they can really do. And again, they're kind of in that middle middle class where they could go from four to the tenth seed. Like it just it's hard to tell right now. I think that they'll bounce back to where they were before. Um and I think the Carlisle bump will be huge for them too. Like yeah. we'll see in the re- in the regular season at least. I don't think it'll make too much of a difference in the playoffs. But yeah. um let's go ahead and move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, they re-signed Bobby Portis to a two-year, $9 million contract, an absolute steal after his playoff run. I believe it has a player option on the second year. Um, they then signed Semi Ojale and Rodney Hood to vet minimum contracts. They signed George Hill to a two-year, $8 million contract. Then just before we started, like an hour before we started recording today, Dylan, they traded for Grayson Allen, and they sent Sam Merrill and two second-round picks to Memphis. And I love that trade for the Bucs. I think they needed a shooter, and I think Grayson Allen's really good. Yeah, they they needed Grayson Allen in the finals. I mean, Pat Conton was carrying a heavy load because Bryn Forbes just got benched. And again, we talked about the DiVincenzo minutes that they desperately needed to fill. And they did enough to fill them, but it was it was tough. And a guy like Grayson Allen, I think, is a great addition for your bench. I mean, it, it gives them shot making off the bench that they didn't really have this year. And they still won the finals. So I think they definitely got better. George Hill is obviously a massive upgrade over Teague. And I don't even think George Hill's that good anymore. It's just Teague was that bad. <laughs> so they got better at point guard. They got better at backup wing. So they're better. They're better. Um, another team, a team that we could talk about, whether or not they got better, the Philadelphia 76ers um, re-signed Furkan Korkmaz to a three-year $15 million contract. Signed Andre Drummond to a one-year vet minimum contract. Signed George Yang to a two-year, six, seven million dollar contract, and re-signed Danny Green. Um, this team definitely didn't get better, but it feels like a Simmons trade is imminent. So, I mean, right now, I think they're they're firmly in the top four. Like, I think that I still trust Embiid and Simmons if if that's the pairing to win enough games to be in the top to get home court advantage of the first round. Yeah, I mean, it's probably – if they keep Simmons, which, again, hard to say at this point, it's it's just going to be the same old story. Like, they – I don't even know if I want to say they slightly improved the bench because they got Andre Drummond. I don't know if that's really an improvement over Dwight Howard, but I don't know. It's nothing inspiring for me. And George Yang is not inspiring for me either. Um, he was not seeing the floor in the second round. Or, yeah, he was getting played off the floor. So I don't know how I like that for them, but that's uh, whatever. And then I think our last Eastern Conference team – oh, no, we have two more. The Toronto Raptors, um, they signed Sam Decker for, from overseas. He's back in the league after a couple of years out of the league. They re-signed Gary Trent to three-year $54 million contract. They re-signed Ken Birch to a three-year $20 million contract. And probably the biggest superstar move of the offseason, they re-signed Masai Ujiri. Um, I mean, let's be real here. The Raptors are probably going to be in the like firmly in play in range. And I think that re signing Messiah and having him in your organization is is the win of the offseason for them. 
Yeah, it's huge because for the past few years, we've heard a lot of rumors about the Knicks or some other big team throwing like $20 million a year at him, like something unheard of for uh, an executive. And luckily they, they uh, locked him up. It, it's nice to see that he didn't want to just go there and win a championship and leave. You know, like he's kind of in it for the long haul. And he's probably kind of excited about the prospect of building his own team. You know, it's kind of not necessarily starting from scratch, but I mean, this team at this point is basically all him where when he came in, he had to obviously deal with some existing players. Um, but yeah, it's it's nice to see that. And, yeah, I don't think they're too far removed from being a playoff team either. I mean, their defense is going to be awesome. Like, they just got the fourth overall pick, and (laughs) they're still probably going to have one of the best defenses in the league, uh, again, hinging on health. So, even though they lost Lowry, I still think they're in a decent spot. Yeah, to bring up your point, he inherited inherited Lowry. He inherited uh, DeRozan. He inherited Andrea Bargnani to bring up a different era of Raptors basketball and look at the team they have now. Like, I don't know what they'll do with that Lowry. That's the biggest question for them. Like looking way ahead is what do they do without Lowry? But I think that right now, like they're just having Masai back is huge for them. And then the last Eastern conference team we got to talk about is the Washington wizards. They obviously completed the Russell Westbrook trade, got Kyle Kuzma, your, uh, your boy Montrez Harrell and Contavious Caldwell Pope back. They traded, uh, the, we talked about the trade they made with Indiana where they sent number 22 to Indiana for Aaron Holiday and number 31. They then signed and traded for uh, Spencer Dinwiddie and they sent Chandler Hutchison to San Antonio. They re-signed Hal Neto to a one-year contract. This team is fascinating to me. They're basically saying, hey, Spencer and Spencer and Brad, you guys are going to get all the points for us and everyone else is going to do the dirty work. And I don't think I hate that team model for them. Yeah, I don't either. I thought Spencer Dinwiddie was like clearly their target, the guy they should have gone after. It's just a different look than, than Westbrook. I mean, it's way more shooting. And this is, I mean, this is like their best shooting backcourt since obviously before Wall was drafted. Like Wall was never a shooter. Gilbert Arenas and Karan Butler? I guess so. And obviously that was um, quite an interesting team. I don't think we'll get the same excitement out of them. But, you know, Beal and Dinwiddie, like, have a chance to be really fun on offense. And their defense, I think, will actually mostly be made up for by the other guys. I mean, I don't want to put too much pressure on everyone else. Like, I don't think Rui is that great. He's not bad, but he's he's fine. Um, Gafford is probably going to be the starter. He's good. If it's, if it's Thomas Bryant, then it's not good, but on offense, it'd be good. But, um, and then they have a bunch of wings now who are kind of the same, but different. Like they, they're all like the same effectiveness, I think, but in different ways. And we'll see if Kispert maybe can be a different kind of uh breed this year, but I don't know. It's definitely intriguing, I think they're probably also a play-in type of level um, team. They they just have a lot of interesting pieces. And outside of Beal, there's nothing, like, really exciting. I do still think Rui is going to be really good. Um, and I like watching Dinwiddie. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm definitely intrigued. 
I realized I forgot a Western Conference team I wanted to talk about. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time talking about them. But the Golden State Warriors, I think they've had a good offseason with just minimum guys. They've uh, signed Otto Porter Jr. and Nemanja Bielica to vet minimums, as well as Andre Iguodala. And they got Steph Curry to sign a four-year, $215 million extension. Um, really good. I mean, getting Steph to sign the extension is a win in and of itself, but I feel like if Otto Porter can stay healthy, he's going to be really good for them. I hope so because I've loved Otto Porter since he was on the wizards, but it's been kind of tough goings the past couple of years. And I know injuries have played a large part in that. Um, and playing for the magic is not a fair judgment cycle uh but yeah like again ideally because that's where we're at right now is uh you know perfect world him and bielitsa would be great but we thought bielitsa would be great for the heat too and he didn't really do much and i don't know whether that was his fault or spolstra but i don't know like i like the idea of the moves but whether they actually work out we'll have to see and i think that's a good place to close it um, Dylan and I will be taking about a month off unless one of these three things happens. Bradley Beal gets traded, which is looking not likely at all right now. Damian Lillard gets traded, which looks way more likely than Brad, but way less likely than the last one. Or Ben Simmons gets traded. Those three events will bring us out of our hiatus. And I might, I don't know. None of the events will really rise to the level of us needing to pot about them. Like if Lowry marketing changes teams, <laughs> You know, like, that's not really something we need to talk about. Like, I'd say unless one of those three things happens, we're done. Dylan, we've been potting for literally, I think we've taken three weeks off the whole last year. I think I think we deserve a break. Yeah, we do. And, hey, the good thing is it hasn't felt like work, you know. it's That's always a good thing. Um, but, yeah, it'll be nice to take some time off. I mean, as much as I love basketball, I need a break. And we've got football coming up, man. Like I'm changing gears a little bit here. I've got, I've got some stuff to focus on for NFL and I'll obviously be contributing to our network's coverage of that as much as possible. But yeah, I think the basketball coverage is we're finally in that dog days area where it's like pretty much no news for a while, unless one of those big trades happens. Exactly. And then, um, yeah, I know you're going to be on insanity. I think it's it next week. You're going to be on yeah. help, helping with the division previews. So it's yes. I can't believe it's division preview time already. It's crazy. Um, just really wild stuff. But yeah, it's going to be fun getting back into football. Um, we're going to be back, I'd say, the week of Labor Day. And we're going to do our top 100. We're going to each unveil our top 100s. You will have to do a little bit of basketball work. You will have to do a little bit of work for the I podcast, will. But I will. That'll probably be like a multi-part extravaganza that we can stretch out over the course of a couple of weeks. Give us some content while we're not actually making anything. And then I'd say we come back the first week of October with uh, recharged batteries and we start previewing the we start previewing the NBA and stuff. And it'll be, listen, we're going to have a hell of a next season. This first season, I thought we did really good coming up with stuff on the fly. Now that we know what we're doing, I think it'll be even better. Um so, but Dylan, you're not done podcasting in the least. And I'm probably, let's be real here. I'm probably not done either. Um, I'm probably going to be on with Zach doing movies and stuff. I probably won't be doing football stuff, but I'll probably be doing Zach. I'll probably be doing Circle City Cinema. Um, but you also are going to be doing Divine Rhyme. That's not going off. 
And I know, I believe you guys are recording your second Mac Miller episode this weekend. Is that correct? Yes. And it's going to be a hell of an episode. I can already tell. I mean, the first one was great. I mean, you guys in the, our group chat inspired me to listen to Macadelic, which was amazing. So I think that I can't wait to hear you guys talk about that again. The first one, go check that out. We put that out last week. Um, it'll The next one will probably be out on Monday. Triple Ocean Pass was back today, and they're going to be back this whole month. They're going to be previewing and the college football season after that. They're going to be previewing the conferences. Today they released the Big Ten and Mac preview. They're doing one uh, one big conference, a power five conference and a group of five conference in their preview. So it'll be, that'll be fun to listen to those. I don't remember who it is next week, but we'll, uh, we'll check that out. And then circle city cinema, go check out the, if you like the Wolf of wall street, you'll love this week's episode. Great episode. Wolf of wall street. Fantastic movie. Um, promote your book one more time, Dylan. No pressure, finding happiness in a fear driven world on Amazon buy it or we will tell your gym that you didn't wipe the machine down and they will ban you and you will become obese and you will hate yourself all because you didn't want to spend $10 on the paperback or six on the ebook. It's it's crazy, Dylan. It's crazy. And then facts and stats with JD hall. I will be on that this weekend. We're going to be having you are. Yes. Oh man. That'll be fun. I didn't realize you were going to be on there too. Oh man, that's going to be a great discussion then. Um, I think that this is JD's podcast is going to be great. And then Dead of Dorks with DJ Deke. I have forgotten to plug that for a while. Make sure you check that out. Dylan, this is a long episode, but I think we we needed the longness. We haven't done a really long one in a while. So um, I, I think it was worth it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to discuss, man. Like there's a lot of stuff happening and we've been mostly brief. Um, for a good few months so i think we earned a good two-hour pod (laughs) exactly we hadn't gone over like an hour and a half in a couple months i want to say so you know you got to give us props and you got to let us you know sometimes we got to go you got to let us cook sometimes so exactly dylan hughes i enjoy your time off on the power hour we'll see you again in a month for the top 100 thank you so much for joining me this whole season thank you it's been fun